Isn't it time for a turning point in your life? Have you been looking for a GPS for success? Are you ready to look at what is it that keeps you running harder and faster, relentless in your pursuit for the it factor? Get ready to listen, share, and explore new success elements for you. Now, here's the host of Turning Point Radio Show, Judith L. Harrison. Good afternoon. Yes, it's Judith. I am your host, and today we're going to go cruising. Today we begin our cruise through positive personality profiles. Anyone knows that you should approach certain animals differently and treat them differently based on what you know about them. Well, the same is true about people. But, you say, aren't we more or less all the same? Aha! Alas, this is where we go awry and things go amok. We are all left feeling bruised, confused, and possibly even have been caused in the matter of abuse, unwittingly or intentionally. In any case, it's not real good for great relationships, harmony, and world peace. Wouldn't you prefer to know and be equipped to practice that knowing? With whom do I have the pleasure of meeting? Join us on the cruise of a lifetime. Discover some familiar ports and some very exotic foreign places with new sea legs. I'm using cruising as a metaphor for how to explore personalities. And I want to say something about that before I go further into the show itself. There are many people who have done a course here or there along the way about personalities, and in particular, about the DISC personality profile model. And the caveat I want to extend out as an invitation, not as a preachy-teachy or a should or anything, but as a, a just a, let's be cautious. To know about this model in the manner in which I hope to start to introduce you through our cruise over the next four or five weeks, is to give you a deeper experience of how to live the knowing and not just spout the knowing. And what I mean by that is you're probably all too familiar with um, those experiences where you introduce a, a subject matter about which you have a great deal of passion, you've had some internal exploration, you've uh, learned more about that model through your internal, visceral interaction. And that's the manner in which I would like to have people begin to explore this model of human behavior as something that I don't read in a book, but I engage in the very act of living my life with character, living my life with profound results, living my life on purpose. So that's my invitation and my little caveat about cruising through the personalities. And I'm going to talk about dreams a little bit. Dreams are not plans. Dreams are destinations toward, toward which we bend our lives, not possibilities unfulfilled. The dream of becoming the fullness of myself drives me from yesterday to tomorrow not stuck in memory, 
impervious to today, an invitation to a future yet in process. Dreams are the lifeblood of becoming. When I stop dreaming, a level of what it means to be alive ends in me as well. And that's a quote from The Art of Life by Joan Chittister. And I chose to uh, use those words as part of our introduction to the show because I think to understand how to live life live, alive, in a lively manner, also in, um, encourages us to discover better ways of interacting with others, beginning with just a, a real lively awareness that not all humans are the same. We all have uniquenesses. We have some samenesses, but we have some uniquenesses. And wouldn't it be great if we could all meet ourselves and each other with a sense of exploration, not of, oh, yes, I know that, but what about, oh, tell me more. Oh, what does that mean to you? Oh, I don't understand that. Can you help me? It's that pause, the pause that refreshes, <laughs> taking a moment to be really curious about ourselves even as much as about others. So dreams and bending ourselves. I love that notion, bending ourselves toward a direction and having a dream that pulls me forward. We're going to talk about being summoned by life. So that's how I think about this dream. It's something that summons me forth, not a plan, not a goal, but a something that calls me. I call it the teleological principle, teleological coming from a soul self that has a purpose. She gets an image of herself, throws it out into the future, and then lives into it. That's that essence of being called or summoned by life. And Joan goes on in this particular um, section of her book saying this, the difficulty with dreams is that if we suppress them, we may live to regret the present. The worst of all possibilities is to go through life mourning the dreams we never pursued. It's like being called to go on a journey and we don't cash in the ticket. We have an amazing journey, and not the least of which is how to be fully alive, fully human, pursuing dreams, not just goals and plans. In the book that we started to work with a little bit last week, um, what does it? It's by David Brooks, uh, The Road to Character. It's all about roadmaps and journeys <laughs> and explorations. The Road to Character. He talks about the importance of being able to um, deepen our soulful purpose. And he refers to that as building character. Now, one of the producers last week said she just wanted to be a character. <laughs> so that's okay, too, as long as being a character is what your soul is calling you forth to be. Being playful, being a character being mischievous, being a character. That was a real live life role in the Middle Ages, you know, when they had jesters at the court. They were um, paid um, 
kept by the court to be playful, mischievous, and call out people on the truth. But they had to do it with such a delicate balance that they didn't lose their heads, quite literally. Um, So uh, being playful. Um, So how to do that as an interactive experience and why do it as an interactive experience? Interpersonally as well as intrapersonally. This road to character talks about one of the greatest things that we can do is to confront ourselves and that obstacles that we encounter through relationships and even the relationship with life at large is not about overcoming the obstacle outside of ourselves, but using the obstacle as a a point of resistance that allows us to deepen our own experience and confront our own truth, the truth about ourselves. But very often that truth and that deepening, wisening, maturing process cannot happen unless we are interdependently interacting with others. And uh, David Brooks says, everybody needs redemptive assistance from outside, from family, friends, ancestors, rules, traditions, institutions, exemplars, and for believers, God. We all need people to tell us when we are wrong and to advise us on how to do right and to encourage, support, arouse, cooperate, and inspire us along the way. And that's where interdependence takes on such an imperative role in our life and what led to a bit of an epiphany for me in the last couple of weeks about the value of being in committed community. I'm interchanging the word community uh, or a symphony of experiences of fully realized individuals because I still have a hard time with uh, the notion of uh, institutions as a word concept just because of my own past experiences inside of the whole socialization process. So this gets quite... uh, a little bit far away from personalities, but it all fits together, I can assure you, okay? So there we go. Uh, Being on purpose, building character, and understanding that all humans have uniquenesses as well as samenesses, and to build strong, authentic selves, we need that principle of interdependence with others. In um, the two cases of uh, psychotherapists, uh, psychologists actually, Harry Harlow and B.F. Skinner, there were some um, questionable studies, I suppose we could say. I mean, they were thought to be in some respects unethical because these individuals did some studies working with animals on the... Uh, effect of putting uh, principles, uh, biological principles, they worked with um, with monkeys, but they were using monkeys instead of humans, and I think we should be grateful for that. But looking at what happens when we put monkeys in isolation of their interactive communities, 
And there were some very, very um, profound realizations that got revealed in the process of these studies. And one of them is that um, when you put a monkey uh, in lieu of its own mother uh, in a cage with um, some two alternative uh, surrogate mothers, uh, one can be a wire monkey, mother, surrogate, with a bottle from which the baby could feed, and the other being a surrogate monkey that's wrapped in soft cloth, though that second surrogate cannot feed the baby. The baby, when uh, nervous or frightened or startled by something, will go to the monkey, the surrogate mother, that is soft and cuddly in lieu of the one that can actually feed it. It's just a profound discovery of what is the most basic, fundamental, primary need of ourselves. We need a sense of a, a warmth, an, an, the warmth of another that can uh, cuddle us, can protect us, can offer us uh, safety, um, as we need that more than food, or it's a, a psychological perceived need. Very, very uh, shocking, actually, I think. And the other thing that was discovered between these two individuals and various um, things that they uh, discovered is that um, if placed in um, isolation, and so if you put someone in a room that is completely uh, devoid of any other, even a marking on the wall as a point of reference outside of oneself, it leads to a severe psychotic breakdown. And um, Harlow, Harry Harlow, also talked about, um, or not talked about, but revealed um, that this can lead to the cause of depression and other mental disorders. And then he actually tried to um, use studies once um, these individual monkeys were in a deep depression. Um, he tried to find ways to bring them back to the point of recovery, and sadly, were not, was not able to do that. And the reason I say this is to simply highlight how critical it is to understand and appreciate in a very proactive way the value of interacting well, not just interacting with others, but deepening our awareness, our cognitive understanding, and the practice of how do I interact interdependently with others and why. And it's not a formula that we can follow from any book. It's an experience that we need to practice and develop over time. And we'll probably jump in somewhere in one of those aspects, um, being summoned by life or how do we interact interdependently right after our first break, which is now calling us right at this moment. We'll be right back. I like to think of life as a journey. Therefore, it is useful to have a roadmap for success. The challenge is to get past what we are socialized to believe and past what we think that we know to the beginning of wisdom, to know that we don't know what we don't know. By tuning into Turning Point, GPS for your success, you will be invited to engage in an adventure of getting to know thyself 
and map out your deeply satisfying and sustainable success, passing up on possible wrong turns and or unnecessary go-nowhere delays. Kickstart your engines. Start your journey of turning points. GPS for your success every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Time, 12 Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on hzn.fm. You are listening to Turning Point, GPS for your success with human behavior specialist Judith L. for Lightly and Luscious Harrison. Please call in the U.S. In the U.S., please call 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to Judith L. Harrison at rogers.com. Now, back to the program. This is Judith. I am your host. We're on a cruise. We're discovering personalities, and we're exploring a little bit of the, the deeper waters as to why studying personalities might be uh, significant and then how to do that effectively. And there is another uh, psychologist. Uh, his name is Shark Schnark. <laughs> uh, and he says, becoming an authentic adult means going against the whole drift of culture. And it is necessary in order to claim our sense of self in the presence of another. And, and this is where I, I think, kind of left off personally as a psychotherapist and as a speaker, as a writer, kind of left off a real deep awareness of the appreciative value of community, committed, significant community. That could be a committed, significant other. I got that much, you know, like in a marriage, for example, or commitment to family. I simply didn't allow for how much that uh, globalizes out to our, our experience of being in a committed community, whatever that community is. And David Brooks talks about community, and he uses the word institution, by the way. <laughs> I'm simply using my own word. And that's because it works for me. So the, the, the value of, of being in a committed, significant community is that we want to choose a community that holds up a, a, a way of being that espouses values that we resonate with. And David Brooks actually says that it's hard for us individually to be really clear about what our values are if we're doing that in a vacuum. And if you take it to the extreme of what Harry Harlow and B.F. Skinner were able to show us through their experiments, that not only can we uh, not effectively um, know what those values are, we actually lose a sense of ourselves altogether. So it gets quite radical, really extreme, and very dangerous. And I'll say more about that in a moment if the thought comes back to me. But the whole notion of where are we going today in terms of building social communities and actually that um, uh, social technology as we understand it does not give us that deep, profound sense of interactive interdependence with another. That is not what provides us with the core essence of what is required to have that felt sense of 
I belong to this community. This community helps me to grow. This community helps me to know myself and hold me accountable. Accountability is absolutely critical to living our best sense of our life, to live our greatness. We need accountability, which is why I so am committed to creating mastermind uh, make, uh, m- um, makeover mentorship communities because it's in that <coughs> committed community with the built-in accountability that we get to realize our best self and in turn contribute to that same process for others. And there's such a sense of satisfaction, amazing satisfaction that comes from being a part of somebody else's realized greatness while growing our own as well so that it's a win-win-win. And if you want a really good reason for knowing why it's important to live our lives interdependently, Schnark says that it's especially valuable and uh, even with, for hot sex. Now, what's not to love about that? So he talks about um, that it is critical to true love, to passion, and to hot sex. Uh, but passionate re- a marriage requires that you become an adult, and that's that core authentic self. And that's where it gets kind of tricky. You see, it's not about submerging ourselves into community, and neither is it about eschewing community altogether for the sake of the self, but rather, how do I continue to deepen and extend the growth of myself as an authentic self and do so inside community where there's accountability for my greatness, and there, is, there are exemplars to help me appreciate what my true values are and then be able to hold those values and not collapse back into community. Simply because we hold the same values doesn't mean I get to collapse. I need to stand within a clear sense of my authentic core self and bring that into committed interactive, interdependent relationship with others. So the, the path to this goal is differentiation. The path to this goal is understanding what life summons to me, summons me to, and the path to this very enlivened, um, great life is to appreciate Uh, what is it that life calls me to? Not what do I think I'm going to do with my life, but what is it that's calling me? And that's what David Brooks is referring to when he talks about uh, being summoned by life. There is that deep, interstitial, invisible, but very tangible sense of being called to something. And, and he talks in the beginning of his book um, about Adam 1 and Adam 2. If any of you heard my show last week, I explained it, so I'll just review it quickly. An Adam 1 model is a model in which I'm going to work hard through my education and everything else that I do to build uh, those qualities and characteristics that show up and present well um, on my resume. And it gets me the good job and all the rest that goes with that. 
Adam too is that iconic way of developing what he calls eulogy virtues. What are the virtues that I want my life to be a reflection of? What are the values that I want my life to be lived according to such that I have that great sense of satisfaction as I go along? It's not about having a great eulogy. I don't mean that. It really is about using whatever it is I think I would like my eulogy to say to be my roadmap on how to live my life and make great choices along the way. At the end of the road, who cares? It's done. But we want to care along the, the road. And we need good milestone markers or roadmaps along the road to not get lost because the cultural uh, drift will assuredly, as, as night follows day, it will assuredly get us off course. So we need to have that clear sense of what is it to which life summons me. And when we know that, David Brooks says, you ask a different set of questions. The perspective begins not within the autonomous self. Notice he uses the word autonomous. I'm making a distinction between the autonomous self and the authentic self. So the perspective begins not within the autonomous or independent self, but with the concrete circumstances in which you happen to be embedded. So he's touching on another point of reference that I um, refer to from time to time, and that is in any given situation, there is self for which I am responsible. There is other to which I am responsible. I'm not responsible for other, but that accountability factor goes back and forth interdependently. But the third piece that we must never lose sight of is what is the context within which I find myself and other? And what is it that, that the context requires of me given that these are the set of circumstances that we're dealing with right now? And one of the people that um, um, David Brooks quotes at quite some length in that respect is someone who's um, always fascinated me, intrigued me, and I don't mean idle curiosity, I mean deeply, profoundly impacted my own conscious awareness and wondering of what is it to be really human in, in, in very, very, very difficult circumstances, and that is the individual, Viktor Frankl, who um, wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, Frankl was a psychiatrist in Vienna who was rounded up in 1942 by the Nazis and sent to a ghetto and then to a series of concentration camps. His wife, mother, and brother all died in these camps. And Frankl spent most of his time in camp laying tracks for w railway lines. This was not the life he had planned for himself. This was not his passion or his dream, but these were his circumstances. And why he so fascinates me and holds me in great awe. Oh, excuse me. It just um, causes me to... Uh, lose my breath for a moment, um, is that he comes through all of that horrific treatment and the loss of family with himself intact. He did not lose 
out to life because of bitterness dealt him as a result of circumstances in which he found himself and to which he lost friends, family, etc. And he goes on to write this most amazing book that I can't recommend highly enough called Man's Search for Meaning. And then the reason you might want to read it is simply to, I don't know, bring your own conscious attention to living as an interactive fellow member of society with profound strength and courage and not lose out to the circumstances and become bitter and miserable and end your life with a sense of what was that all about, but rather go through life with this is what I'm committed to. This is what I am a stand for. These are the values by which I want to be known. And um, uh, Viktor Frankl apparently even uh, went on to, while in camp, help many people, several of whom were wanting to commit suicide and help them to realize that their life had meaning despite the circumstances. He says, we needed to stop asking the meaning of life and instead think of ourselves as though as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly profound one could struggle against the insults by asserting small acts of dignity not necessarily to change your outer life or even your ultimate fate, but to strengthen the beams and the pillars of your inner structure. And so when I invite people to a discovery of personalities, it's inside this context that I beckon you. It's from inside this context that I beckon you. But now our second break beckons us. We'll be right back. I like to think of life as a journey. Therefore, it is useful to have a roadmap for success. The challenge is to get past what we are socialized to believe and past what we think that we know to the beginning of wisdom, to know that we don't know what we don't know. By tuning into Turning Point, GPS for your success, you will be invited to engage in an adventure of getting to know thyself and map out your deeply satisfying and sustainable success, passing up on possible wrong turns and or unnecessary go-nowhere delays. Kickstart your engines. Start your journey of turning points. GPS for your success every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Time, 12 Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on hzn.fm. You are listening to Turning Point, GPS for your success with human behavior specialist Judith L. for Lightly and Luscious Harrison. Please call in the U.S. In the U.S., please call 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to Judith L. Harrison at rogers.com. Now, back to the program. 
we're back to Turning Point, a GPS for, your, for success in your life. And we're looking at how to embark on the cruise through the personalities and why would we want to do that. Not only how to embark in terms of where do we set off, but also how to be on the cruise and why. How to appreciate that though we're all human together, we are not all together human, <laughs> individually or collectively. And so I'm playing on words there a little bit. Uh, Viktor Frankl, that we were, uh, when I was referring to him before the break, says this, at what points do my talents and deep gladness meet the world's deep need? I love that. At what points do my talents and deep gladness meet the world's deep need? And that is where he talks about being summoned and where I talk about being called by life and what am I going to commit my life to rather than what am I going to work at? What am I going to do to build a life? No, it's what is my life building of me, understanding myself as having two points of reference. One is I am inextricably responsible and accountable to my deep core authentic self and I must be willing to commit to doing that inside committed community that represents values to which I can resonate and be held accountable by that community. On March 12th, in the Globe and Mail, there was an article. The headline says this, Despite being in a world that is rather terrifying, it is possible for humans to live together. And that's the headline for an article about Jean Vanier. That name may mean something to some of you. And for those who aren't quite sure, let me just say that Jean Vanier is a Canadian and he has thought deeply and respected amazingly and appropriately as being a humanitarian who spent the last half century working with people with intellectual disabilities. And the reason the article is appearing in the Globe and Mail is that he won the 2015 Templeton Prize for the work that he has done in building these intentional communities where what is more or less considered to be normal people live together in community with what is considered abnormal people. The thing I want to add there is, however, that we all have disabilities, especially those of us who are able-bodied. We can become rather indifferent, perhaps, to the places and the ways in which we become insensitive to the differences that can help us deeply grow evolutionarily as a species, as a whole. When people are physically disabled, it's very easy for them and others to recognize those disabilities. When those disabilities are not so, quote, physical 
or visible, it's easy to miss them, but they're there. We all have those weaknesses, and it behooves us to be mindful of where those weaknesses show up and how we best know about those is inside community. In uh, the article, it says, Mr. Vanier underlined how what he learned from his work with the disabled has currency in a volatile and bellicose time. I love that word, bellicose. And we'll get back to that for good reason. He goes on to say, we are in a world that is rather terrifying. People close ranks and hide behind their factions. There is great insecurity. And yet, he says, it is possible for humans to live together as long as you let down the walls that separate you. He has long argued that one becomes more fully human when living side by side with those who are different. Relationships with disabled people are genuine because they have no position of power or hidden agenda. And he goes on to say the problem is that most people disappear behind their titles or their shortcomings. And at L'Arche, which is the name of his uh, organization, um, that's L apostrophe A-R-C-H-E, you are who you are and you reveal yourself as you are. Whether you're considered to be disabled or not disabled, they all live as one in this committed community. And somebody once said, um, challenged an individual that visited um, and said, uh, uh, what about the jihadis? And her response was this, they are human beings who have been warped and who are trapped in a mad world. We have to pray for them so they recover what is essential in their human condition. I really, really like that much broader perspective that isn't quick to simply sell out to a judgment as a result of a particular point of view. And the point of view is not one that we recognize, so I'm going to judge it, I'm going to make it wrong, and then let's kill them off because they're wrong and bad, and we're right. Um, sorry, we're all here together, and it behooves us to not only take responsibility for ourselves, but also to realize that we are in this together. And the well-being of other is critical to the well-being of myself, if I understand myself as part of this broader perspective. And so I did not anticipate <laughs> when I decided to look further into and go on a cruise of personalities where the cruise would take me. And I'm really grateful for where the cruise is taking me to properly set the context of what you want to bring on your cruise. And what you want to bring on your cruise is a mindset that hopefully will be somewhat expanded as a result of today's show as the context, rather than, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I did a two-and-a-half-hour course on that. Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. That's listening from a place of downloading habituated thoughts. That's listening from being there, done that, got the T-shirt. 
That's listening from I know and what I know is right. That's listening from I don't know what I don't know and I'm not curious enough to find out. Instead, what I would like us to do on this cruise is to listen to the future emergent. Listen generatively. Listen through the layers and see what I can discover on this cruise that explores different ports of call. And if we think about these ports of call as places I've never been before, if we think about the different personalities as people that I could actually discover, and in the process of discovering them, get to know myself better also. Mr. Vanier elaborated, our world is evolving rapidly. Yes. And he goes on to say, it is also at a crisis point. Either we will move together towards a deeper unity of all people in a spirit of openness, fraternity, and mutual respect, or the divisions that exist will grow into terrible forces of fear and hate, encouraging wars and terrorism. He adds, for peace, people must meet across their differences. And that's what I hope to have us take advantage of as we look at differing personalities. Understanding that we all have various aspects of each of these personalities within each of ourselves. We just have them in different degrees of emphasis and maybe different degrees of conscious awareness. Maybe different levels of development. And I say that without judgment. I say, what if we could take a look, a new look at ourselves and our lives interactively with others as an adventure on which I'm about to embark and in the process of saying yes to this venture, adventure, that we can discover our world anew. You know, it's, it's so interesting when we live in a particular uh, locale, how easily we can become attenuated to the various vicissitudes and details of that locale, and in a manner of speaking, uh, sort of miss the beauty it shows up and we've seen it so often it's just there we're on automatic pilot but when we have a visitor come into our locale it freshens our way of looking at one of those sites that have become very ordinary for us and it becomes fresh we see it new and I, I like that we used to live um, uh, overseas, and even there, even in those exotic ports of call, we would still become attenuated and habituated to certain ways of looking at the environs around us. But when we had people come to visit, we always got to have that excitement of seeing it through fresh eyes. What a gift that was. They appreciated that we could be there and take them around to places that we'd become aware of and been made aware of as a result of living there. But we also received the gift of seeing these things with fresh eyes. Theirs and ours, our eyes became renewed because of 
their freshness. I'm going to have to go to another break very soon, but I want to talk about bellicose. It's such a great word, not only because do I love words, <laughs> but it's, it's a really good word to be familiar with and, and why we would use it as the uh, jumping off point for our crews in personalities. Um, and so to wrap up the show, uh, just after we come back from our last break for today, uh, we're going to look at bellicose how to understand it, and how that ties in with our first real protocol, which is the D for the doer, the direct, uh, dominant, uh, get-the-job-done personality. And so we're going to go to our third and last break for today, and we're going to come back with Bellicose. I like to think of life as a journey. Therefore, it is useful to have a roadmap for success. The challenge is to get past what we are socialized to believe and past what we think that we know to the beginning of wisdom, to know that we don't know what we don't know. By tuning into Turning Point, GPS for your success, you will be invited to engage in an adventure of getting to know thyself and map out your deeply satisfying and sustainable success, passing up on possible wrong turns and or unnecessary go-nowhere delays. Kickstart your engines. Start your journey of turning points. GPS for your success every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Time, 12 Mountain, and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. You are listening to Turning Point, GPS for your success with human behavior specialist Judith L. for lively and luscious Harrison. Please call in the U.S. In the U.S., please call 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to Judith L. Harrison at rogers.com. Now, back to the program. Hello, we're coming back with Bellicose, but first a few more words from Joan Chittister and The Art of Life. Uh, she says, the human quest for conquest ends only in the awareness of the need to conquer the arrogance of the self. When we see things only en masse in great large sweeping entities, we lose the mystery of life. The moment one gives close attention to anything, even a blade of grass, Henry Miller writes, it becomes a mysterious, awesome, indescribably magnificent world in itself. Bellicose, belligerent, aggressive, hostile, warlike, antagonistic, pugnacious, truculent, militant. It's a manner or temperament, and we use that word sometimes, temperament, with uh, respect to the various ports of call of our model of human behavior, the D, the I, the S, and the C. It's a temperament that is an adaptation that an aggressor uses in their environment. 
So it's aggression or aggressive behavior in which we find ourselves or others tending to be irritable, impulsive, and or restless. It was interesting to me to read when I was looking at the definitional properties of bellicose that it is thought to be and said to be an intentional behavior that violates social norms and causes a breakdown in relationship. You see, the reason I am so fascinated and captivated and passionately committed to understanding the model of human behavior as a lifelong practice is to develop better relationships or, conversely, to help myself, family, and clients to overcome <coughs> breakdowns in relationships. So bellicose describes a behavior that is thought to be militant-like, and that is what uh, Jean Vanier refers to our world as. We're hostile, it's more and more volatile and bellicose. And you know, I think the world is whatever we put our eyes on. It's a point of view as to whether or not it is bellicose, but I think it is, we would be remiss if we were to not look at the fact that that is quite widespread as a planet and our experience of our planet at this time. And why David Brooks says we take and must continue to take morally hazardous actions to preserve our civilization. It is from his book, The Road to Character, but he is quoting Niebuhr, a philosopher, who wrote in the middle of the Cold War. And he says, we must exercise our power. Exercise of power is legitimized. But you know, a point in, in reference to what is true power, I say true power comes from within. True power is not exercising force over other. It is about really imploring of ourselves from within to find a way to have a meeting of the minds, not only with those people with whom we like to live and love and have respect within a committed community, but what about the ones that we don't like to live with or we don't like to love, that behave in ways that we don't understand and ways that not understanding causes us to be fearful and judgmental and want to correct their bad behavior. Well, it doesn't work that way. It's an inside-out job. Peace starts within, within ourselves personally and then between individuals, within individuals in a, commi a committed community or perhaps a nation, but it's an inside-out job, first and foremost. And without that, we will never win anything that is supposed to be anywhere reminiscent of peace. And so the model of human behavior is simply a set of tools by which I might be able to recognize certain behaviors in a way that helps me to appreciate, ah, here are some differences, here are some samenesses, and what can I do 
to stretch and grow myself to better meet the needs of this particular situation. So the model of human behavior is to be a practice and not just a book study. And our cruise through the ports of call, the D, the I, the S, and the C, will be to look more closely at those different lands, those foreign places. Some of them will be more familiar to us, but even in the familiarity, don't be fooled. Because you see, here's the other thing. We all have parts of each of these ports within ourselves. We become a blend of all of those different parts, of all of those different ports. So if you say somebody behaves in a manner that is offensive to you, where are the ways and what are the times and how are, what are the experiences in which you may have acted that way yourself? And the D in particular is a very tricky coast because we can be too quick to A, make them wrong, bad, or other ugly things because they tend to lack a certain amount of savoir-faire in terms of interpersonal relationships. But as Dr. Rome says, thanks to that quality, things get done. And the other thing that can be deceiving is that sometimes when push comes to shove, if we're stressed enough, we can all act in very preemptive ways in terms of good interpersonal skills. And that poor beleaguered D personality, the dominant personality, may get laden with all manner of bad behavior from all the other ports called the I, the S, and the C. Not so. So we'll explore that in greater depth next week when we spend our ports of call first stop in the land of D, the driver, the doer, the getter-done personality. And now we're almost at the end of the show for today. I'm so excited to have you on board as we begin our cruise. Don't forget to bring your luggage and to learn some new things and let go of things you no longer need that don't serve you. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for choosing to listen to Turning Point, GPS for your success. Judith L. Harrison and Turning Point will return with your GPS next Monday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12 noon Mountain Standard Time, and 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for your best life, mapping turning points by design.